Jane Anne Krentz is a master of historical romance and paranormal mysteries, with 35 million copies of her books sold internationally. So she's a perfect author to feature for this month of St. Valentine. Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series. So you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and on Binge Reading Today, Jane Ann talks about creating her interlinked Jane-verse. That's interlinking of her characters across all of her three series. She gets on to talking about her latest books in her Fog Lake Contemporary Paranormals, her Burning Hope Historicals and her Futuristic Guild Boss series. And we've got a special St. Valentine's Day book offer, 10 copies of romance author Leanna Morgan's Coming Home, the first book in her Montana Promise series. Her books are for fans of Robin Carr's Virginia River series, an addictive sweet romance read that will have you going back for more. The offer closes February 15, so get in quick. Links to the show can be found on the Binge Reading website. And don't forget, you can get exclusive bonus content, like hearing Jane's answers to the five quickfire questions by becoming a Binge Reading on Patreon supporter. If you'd like to support the show, check it out on Binge Reading on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash the joys of binge reading. And now here's Jane. Thank you for being here, Jane. It's wonderful to have you on the show. Welcome to all of our listeners. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited. That's great. Now, look, I've known of your work for many years. I was an Amanda Quick fan years ago with the Arcane Society. But when I looked you up, I saw that you've sold 35 million copies of your books. And that was something I hadn't quite realized how huge your following is. So you're a best-selling author with an international reputation, but it wasn't that easy getting started, was it? No, back in the day, this is how old I am, which is, which is I'm going to have to start stop doing this part of the interviews because it ages me. But seriously, back when I started, there was no self-publishing option. That was not something you could do. So that meant you had to get past the gatekeepers at the publisher's And that took me six years. And you were writing for yourself and really just for the joy of it for that whole six years. I wouldn't call it the joy of it. (laughs) I always say that if you're doomed to write, you don't have any option. It really is a kind of an addiction. It's It's a compulsion. And if you can quit writing, you will quit writing because there are enough frustrations in the business that you're you're not going to fight it. So the writers, every writer I know has just kept at it. That's how it works. And I think it's because we can't stop. And and I say that, but there does come a time for some writers when they do stop. All of a sudden, I look back and there are names that have just gone. And I have no idea where they went. I just, I guess they just walked away from it. I, I can't do that. Yes, yes, that's interesting. So now you've created what you described at the end of one of your recent books, 
a Jane verse, a universe, like, but it's a Jane verse. Now, that's an interesting concept and something that almost seems to have stolen up on you. Can you explain to readers who don't know what a Jane verse is? <laughs> well, I have, I have my editor to thank for pointing it out. We were talking about one day this, about the next book. You know, what would the next book be like? What did I want to work with? And so many of my books, I want to work with the s- similar things. I love working with the psychic vibe. I love working with a certain kind of hero and a certain kind of heroine, certain kinds of plots. I don't do gory serial killer plots. I do more murder mystery type plots. And I like the romantic vibe in the books. And after a while, you create a world of that. Every writer has a verse, I think, a metaverse or whatever. And I think they spend their entire careers exploring that universe. And it's endless. It's as broad as your imagination. So in in some sense, every author has their own personal universe and that's what they write out of. That's what they write from and that's what they explore. And I just hadn't thought of it that way until I had this conversation with my editor and that she's the one that said, oh, a Jane verse. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. Now your Jane verse, it's written in three different pen names and it is neatly, fairly neatly, categorized into contemporary stories, historical stories, and futuristic stories. So the art goes across the three time zones and under three different names. But you are now starting to also link up some of your people and characters in this Jane verse, aren't you? Yes, I think that was where it was headed all along. The three different time frames, past, present, and future, for me, we're more about finding new plots. My characters are still my characters. My plots still have the same kind of murder mystery, you know, the same kind of problems. I think every author is drawn to explore certain kinds of conflicts, certain kinds of emotional drama. And if you stray too far from whatever it is that you're writing about, if you stray trying to broaden it and, and do something entirely different, I think you lose your power. Your power comes from whatever draws you emotional part of the story. And it's different for every author. But I have been doing this long enough to know what what draws me, what compels me. And I'm going to be doing it probably the rest of my life. That's just who I am. So the plots in three different worlds expanded my ability to come up with new stories. The, the themes and conflicts I work with are very similar. But the, but the worlds that I write them in look different simply because of the historical era. Yeah, so you have different locations and different settings and different technical aspects, different technology that they're working with. Yes, if you set out to consciously build a universe, which I should have done years ago when I realized what was happening, but I was kind of unconsciously doing it anyway, if the technical stuff is actually crucial, you just don't think about it, but whatever the source of power is in that era is a theme. It anchors the whole story because author or, uh, readers will come to that world with a certain expectation. If you take them into the 19th century, they have an expectation of how the underlying power works. And I'm talking about steam engines and you know just basic gas lights and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, the mechanics of it. And in the futuristic world, I had to come up with my a new source of power, something that wasn't just the same as it had been back on Earth. So that's when I realized that's an important part. If you're out there, any aspiring authors out there who are looking to um, <laughs> to build their own universe, 
Think about the source of power. And the other thing that to think about are the social conventions. If we write in the 19th century or early 20th century, we, we have a sense of them because they're close enough in time and we've read enough and we just have a sense of them. But if you're setting up a futuristic universe or a paranormal universe, then I think you want to think about the social conventions. And I'm talking the basics like marriage, family, education, how the government works, you know, that those kinds of things give you a, a skeleton for your story, so to speak. Probably these days, one of the key things is how women were or were not able to exercise their independence and, and uh, strength, I suppose. Yes, and that the roles of the sexes, and that's very important to how your story is going to read out. One of the reasons people like the historicals, people who are really fond of that, those other eras, the historical era had more clearly defined roles established for men and women. So therefore you could, when you, you could create conflict by having a character go up against that, up against those rules. In the contemporary society, we don't have those rules as solidly visible. And so it, the conflicts are actually harder to come up with. But if you have a time and a place when women just did not, whatever, did do something, um, they could not be executives, they could not be this, that, or the other thing, you've got a conflict and a plot that you can't have in the modern world. Yes, yes. So the most recent books that we've been, we'll be talking about today, Lightning in a Mirror is the third book, and I think the final one in the Fog Lake series. That one's by Jane Ann Krentz. There's Guild Boss in the Futuristic series, and your name for that series is Jane Castle. And then The Lady Has a Past, set in Burning Cove, California, and that's the Burning Cove series. And that's historical in quotes, even though it is only 1930s California, isn't it? Hollywood in the 1930s, which we hardly almost feel as historical these days, but it is a glorious sort of jazzy, vibrant era to write about. And your name for that one is Amanda Quick. So those are the three names you've settled on, although at one stage you had about seven different names, didn't you? <laughs> I, I think if you survive in this business long enough, you acquire a whole train load of, of names one way or another. I, theoretically, it, it's probably not the best idea. Uh, I know it's not the best idea because it's so hard to promote three different names. And every time you start out under a new name, you are going to have to rebuild an audience. You know, mm. yes, you can put it on the back of the book that you're so-and-so and that you write as so-and-so. And yes, you can put it on your website and every place else. But the reality is most people don't pay attention to the author bio. So it's hard to restart with a new name and I don't recommend it. I wound up with them years ago and it's, I have to say it serves me well because it defines my three eras. When people pick up an Amanda Quick book, they know they're going to get a historical. When they pick up a Jane Castle, they know they're going to get a futuristic. And a Jane Ann Krentz will be contemporary. So, so it's useful in that way. But today, if I go into a if I go into a signing, assuming we ever do signings again, invariably there'll be 30 percent, 20, 30 percent of the people in the room will say, "Oh, I didn't know you wrote as Amanda Quick," or "Oh, I didn't know you wrote as Jane Castle." Yes, even today, yeah. That's, that's well, well, part of it is because we usually not most readers, I would say a good percentage of readers do not read across those different timelines. They prefer a particular historical or futuristic setting and they don't care about the other settings. It's, mm -hmm. it's not that they don't like your writing. It's just that era does not attract them. 
Yeah, that's right. And I would think particularly with people who liked historicals might not really want futuristic. They might be able to handle contemporary, but the gap to futuristic might be just a little too big or just not kind of their thing, that feeling. It's, yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And I'm as guilty of it as anyone else. One of my favourite uh, mystery writers years ago wrote, the, he made his fame and fortune on the classic American private eye, you know, that dark urban kind of private eye story. But he also wrote Westerns. And I never did read the Westerns. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't read Westerns. It's nothing against him or his writing. It was, in fact, when I told my uh, my editor, she offered me the, his latest book, went out for a plane ride home. And and I got all excited. And then she said, it's it's one of the Westerns. And I said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, it's just a private eye on a horse. And I said, <laughs> I said oh, <laughs> doesn't belong, private eyes don't belong on a horse. So I'm as guilty of it as everybody else, and I totally respect that. It makes you understanding about your audience, doesn't it, when you can say that. Do you feel differently when you're writing? I mean, when you become Amanda, does that feel a slightly different persona from Jane Ann? Is Is there a different way you approach the story? Do you have even different little rituals for each author's hat that you put on? (laughs) No different rituals. But I think I just slip into the era. It's not so much the story. I think it's just there's a certain vibe to the 1930s in California. There's a, a mythical version of that era. It's glamorous. It's it's fast. It's um, it's just it was a very exciting time. And women were actually for the first time coming out of the home. They were moving. They were doing things like flying airplanes and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a really important time for women, which World War II pretty effectively put a stop to. After World War II, it was all about, oh, we need to get back to normal, you know, whatever. <laughs> and everybody went back or tried to go back. And But the 30s, they were still visualizing the future as something really new and different and exciting. And then there was the glamour factor, which... The Hollywood glamour factor is just unbeatable. I love to work with that. And there were, uh, in California was a place where, in the United States, it was the place you went when everything else wasn't working back home. You went to California to find a new life. And that's, the whole West Coast is built on that here. So that gives me the kind of characters I love to work with, that kind of entrepreneurial, self-made, reinvent yourself kind of character, which is at the heart of all my books. And that 1930s California was perfect for that. Yes. Yeah, that's wonderful. Look, the Arcane Society, which Amanda, the Amanda Quick book, some of the earlier ones, featured very strongly in your early Amanda Quicks. But in Lightning in the Mirror, it suddenly pops up again. It's like, oh, gosh, these are... <laughs> Is that the first time that you've done that, introduced Arcane into uh, the, the contemporary ones? No, there were some, I try to, I've, I've used Arcane across all three worlds. Oh, have you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there were some trilogies that went, started in the past and then into the contemporary world. Like Into Deep was an Arcane book. And there's, there's I can't remember my own titles, but <laughs> there, there were, there were several of them. But Lightning in a Mirror is a little different because it's actually the end of a trilogy that featured a small town in the mountains here in Washington state. 
that was the unwitting victim of a government experiment gone horribly awry back in the 60s. And the fallout from those experiments are now affecting the generations after that, the, the modern generation. And they're cleaning up the mess that was left from this, from this exotic psychic paranormal laboratory that was run by the government. And <laughs> that... So I set out to do the research on that. It's like opening a cupboard door and everything falls out. It turns out the U.S. government was really heavily into paranormal research in the 50s and 60s and all the way up into the 70s when it came to light and the funding got cut off. But before that, they were, they and the Soviet Union, the old Soviet Union, were heavily into serious paranormal experiments. So I had everything I needed to work with for a plot. I didn't have to invent anything. Fantastic. And that raises the issue that all three of your books do have strong paranormal romantic suspense. They are really, all of them, branded with the paranormal romantic suspense. Even if, however big or little the paranormal might be, you really can't avoid getting a little bit of psychic stuff in there, can you? I I love working with the psychic thing. And I should specify for those who are listening and they like, they think they like paranormal or they do like paranormal, that there's a lot of variety within the category of paranormal. And I should specify that I don't do the supernatural stuff. Therefore, you're not going to find vampires and shapeshifters and werewolves in my books. I just, that I, I can enjoy reading them, but I don't write them. They don't fit my core story, but I do like the psychic vibe. And I think that probably came from my mom. She always had a bit of a psychic vibe and took it, took it sort of seriously. You know, she didn't go wacky with it, but <laughs> she but she respected things like intuition. And I think I think the reason the psychic vibe works not only for me but for my readers is because it's just that one step beyond intuition. Yes. And everybody kind of knows or has a sense of intuition. And all I'm asking is one to take it one step beyond, not yes. to a super fantasy version of it. So. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, yes. And quite a number of your characters have enhanced senses for this kind of thing of one kind or another. Yes, and I'm always aware of the fact that if you've got something that strong and that powerful, there's going to be a downside. And that downside is where the drama comes in because I don't do super characters or superheroes. They've, they've got their problems too. And they're human beings. So, Yes, coping with some of these enhanced senses cuts them off a little bit from other people. Cuts them off from other people and it gives them their own set of problems. I mean, I'm just totally winging it here because what do I know? I don't, have, <laughs> I don't have any enhanced senses. But it would seem to me that with the extra sensory stimulation coming in if you did have this kind of of thing that it would affect your 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 life in a lot of different ways including right down to the panic attacks and things like that you know things that would would stir up senses in a way that would be unpleasant and so Mm, yes yeah the other aspect of it is the romance and you've been a vocal supporter of romantic fiction ever since you began, although your story is probably the romance is, is more of a subplot element, isn't it? It isn't probably the whole focus of the story in a lot of cases, but you did contribute to an essay collection which was seriously examined 
romance writing. And, and I just wondered if you'd like to talk a little bit about how you might have seen the romantic fiction side of things develop over the time you've been writing. I think what I've come to feel over the, over the past few years is that it wasn't just romance that didn't get any respect. It was popular fiction in general. Mm-hmm. It, it has all. It has always been the lesser, <laughs> the lesser literature, if you will. And you know, whether it be science fiction or mysteries or or westerns or glitz novels or romance, it, the culture just doesn't give it a lot of dignity and respect, as opposed to say literary fiction. But I think the thing to do, and what I was trying to do with that book. Dangerous Men and Adventurous Women, will step back and say, okay, this is this is a category of writing that has been denigrated for decades, generations. I mean, back 300 years of criticism. And it's not just romance, it's popular fiction in general. The Gothic novels of the 1900s got the same hit. And I think that the important thing to ask is, why isn't it gone? <laughs> why did it survive? You know, it's kind of a Darwinian thing. It's because something that survives against all odds and against a lot of social pressure, you have to ask what's driving it. And I think the key is to look at what it does provide. And what it does provide is it transmits a culture's core values. We all know what a hero or a heroine is supposed to do when the chips are down. They are supposed to do the right thing. We know what a hero is supposed to do. And where do we get that? We get it from our popular fiction. And I think that's its contribution. That's what it does. And it it transmits those core values and it reaffirms them to the reader. And I think that's the real secret of why popular fiction has survived. Yes, that's interesting. I mean, I had a bit of a feeling myself when I was younger that it was partly because men were the ones that were said to write more literary fiction and a lot of the popular fiction was written by women. And so that was why, and the gatekeepers of the people who said what was great and what wasn't, a lot of them were men as well. But it's probably not, it is more complicated than that, isn't it? Well, certainly I think romance fiction was the, the farthest, <laughs> the stepchild sort of, you know. <laughs> but, but I was in a group of, of writers one time, not, a few years ago, and there was there were several successful writers in the group. We were all from popular fiction. There was a science fiction writer, a, uh, a mystery writer, and uh, me, and a couple of others. You know, just various areas, and they all whined about the same thing, which was basically, "I don't get any respect." They, we all had this. <laughs> we all had this, and that's what opened my eyes to the fact: this isn't just romance; it's popular fiction that just isn't viewed the same as literary fiction. And I think the problem is you have to look at us having two different tasks. I think literary fiction is designed to illuminate the human condition, but it does not take its task as solving the problem. It just wants to make you see it. And so it tends to focus on things like despair and grief and and depression and because those are monumental, dramatic issues for humans. But it doesn't try to solve those problems. But in popular fiction, you're trying to solve them. You're trying to overcome them 
long enough to do the right thing. We'll take a short break and we'll be back with Jane Ann soon. If you love historical mystery series, take a look at Jenny Wheeler's Of Gold and Blood series set in colourful California of the 1860s and 1870s. Dangerous Desires, book 10 in the series, is due out next month and is available on pre-order at the special launch price of $1.99 now. It's set in San Francisco of 1870 and Hector DeVille feels ready to let go of the reins. After a ruthless climb to the top, the California senator figures it's time to enjoy life with his reunited family and leave a lasting legacy. But his idyllic dreams shatter when a callous blackmailer threatens to drown his present reputation in a quagmire of past scandal. Dangerous Desires can be read as a standalone mystery, but if you want to start at the beginning in book one of the series, Poisoned Legacy, it's available on Jenny's Books website for free. Check it out, both Dangerous Desires or Poisoned Legacy, at jennywheeler.biz. That's www.jennywheeler.biz. And now back to the show. It's interesting to have this talk because when I started this podcast nearly four years ago, this was very much one of the drivers. I mean, I've always loved popular fiction myself. I mean, I have read literary fiction, but a lot of the fiction when I was a young woman, I just didn't really identify with it. And people like Henry Miller and Philip Roth, I just didn't like them. I just didn't want to read them. And so I almost had a bit of a rebellious feeling against literary fiction. And couldn't understand why popular fiction wasn't, not even just romance, but popular fiction itself wasn't more, you know, as you say, given more respect. So when I started this podcast, I really didn't want to try and do the literary fiction people, even if I probably wouldn't have had a chance of getting them anyway. But that wasn't where my interest lay. And it's been tremendously revealing to talk to so many popular fiction authors and discover how utterly passionate they are about their work. You know, it's not as if that old thing of the old saw of, oh, they just write to a formula. It's nothing like that at all, actually, is it? No, it really is. If, like I said before, if you can quit, you will quit. It's, it's, it's a driving uh, kind of compulsion to write. So just turning a little to looking at your wider career, this is one that I always quite like to ask people, and you might have already answered it for us, but what would you see as having been the key to your success, the thing that's kept you going when times have been tough or it hasn't seemed as if you're making much headway? Was there a key turning point for you along the way? I can't say that there was a key turning point. I just, like I said, I just couldn't quit. Yeah. I told myself over and over again, I would quit, you know, six years of rejections kind of <laughs> is, is hard. And, and I'd swear off of it for a month and then I'd find myself thinking of stories again and I had to get them down on paper again. And so, so what was your breakthrough book? Oh, the first book I ever actually sold was Gentle Pirate, which was decades ago now. <laughs> And it was part of a romance line, not Harlequin, but the, the line was called Ecstasy. And that was the first one I ever sold. And there was another, there were a couple of smaller, smaller lines at that time. I've only ever written romantic suspense. I have never done straight up romance and I've never done straight up suspense. I've always written this 
this combination of the two, and I see it as its own genre. And I think romantic suspense works because the danger heightens the stakes in the romance and the romance heightens the stakes in the danger. And I think that's why it's such a dynamic tool to or kind of focus for my stories. And, or it could also be because I grew up on Nancy Drew. <laughs> <laughs> so what does an ideal working day look like for you? I'm a morning person, so I'm going to get my best writing done before noon. And after that, I'm going to be pretty exhausted in a way. So I'll be doing things that don't require the same kind of thinking. You know, it's a diff- writing is different from plotting, is different from research, you know, it's it, or trying to outline or anything else. And I tend to be one of those people who can't plot well in detail. And the problem is that I get most of, I can do it, but they're not my best ideas. And I don't get my best ideas until I'm actually in the creative state, whatever that is, you know, the other state of mind that I, that you get into when you actually start writing. Do you write? Maybe you can. Yes, I do. And you do get into a flow, don't you? And actually mm-hmm. it's that thing that happens. The, the first, I mean, I'm on book, I'm writing book 10 now. Oh. And I mean, I've, I've self-published them all, but the first few, because I'd been a journalist, I, I did try and really heavily outline them and I said to myself as an as a journal ex-journalist I need to know where I'm going with this story I don't start a news story without knowing what I what I'm going to be putting into it but now I've actually evolved so that I very much prefer to leave it a little bit more open it's much more fun you get more interesting ideas but it is a lot more scary because there's always that chance you're going to completely fail <laughs> I would take a terrible wrong turn and, and just waste a lot of time it's uh, totally understandable I'm the same way it's it's as you say it's there's an anxiety associated with it but I do think the anxiety gives us some energy too yes yeah that's right you do have that experience that the people talk about of your characters either refusing to do something you've decided you want them to do or going off on a completely different tangent do they do that yeah all the time I've just learned to live with it (laughs) (laughs) how about you how about you not quite so much. No, maybe I'm not quite ready to be that adventurous yet, but <laughs> getting there. <laughs> what, what kind of books are you writing? Historical Mysteries actually set in 1860s California. I entirely agree with you about this California thing. I think it's the most exciting era for to, for a lot of reasons, but also because in the earlier years, before society got too heavily established, like I think the late 60s and 70s, women had more freedom before society really started to clamp down on them again. So that's part of the reason I like it. Oh, fascinating. What, 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 just tell me real quick, what are the characters like? What kind of a mystery? Series? Well, uh, I started out, it's, it's family orientated. I started out with three brothers and, you know, in every book, each the, the main characters have to sort of vaguely end up together at the end. But the main story is the mystery and then the, the romance is the subplot. So, yeah. And I've been, been expanding that from those three brothers into all their associated re- relations, etc. ever since. And that's a bit like the Barbara Freethy thing. You, I could keep it going for quite a long time, I think. so. Excellent. That's exciting. <laughs> Congratulations. I'll look for it. <laughs> Thank you. Circling back and, and talking a bit about your reading taste, because this is the joys of binge reading, we like to give our, our listeners some idea of what you're reading at the moment, what your tastes in reading are, and if you'd like to recommend anything to people. Well, a friend of mine, Rachel Grant, has 
a two book series out. First book is out now and it's called Dangerous Ground. The second book will be out in January and these are published by Amazon. So I'm sure they're available worldwide. And the second book is called Crash Site. And Rachel is a former ex whatever Egypt or um, archaeologist. So she has that kind of, of information to work with. And her heroine is always an archaeologist. So I think of her as kind of the, the modern Elizabeth Peters with the Amelia B. character. Yeah. <laughs> Except she's doing very contemporary women who have much more adventurous sex lives and much more adventurous action. So, But they're really well written. The research is top notch. The She's just an action-oriented writer, so they don't they move very quickly. So that's Rachel Grant, and that would be a dangerous ground and crash site, which I can highly recommend. I love my friend Christina Dodd's combination of mystery and romance. She does a suspense novel. There's there's a relationship on the side, but the suspense and the is is the dominant story. And so anything by Christina Dodd would if you like romantic suspense, she does a really good version of it. She also has a whole series of, of books set in the 19th century, if you like historicals. And she wisely kept the same name for both. <laughs> so just look up Dodd, D-O-D-D, Christina Dodd. I can highly recommend my friend Susan Elizabeth Phillips' most recent book, which is When Stars Collide. She is just so good at the romantic comedy, but it's not lightweight romantic comedy, if you know what I mean. It's there's a lot of heart to it, a lot of emotional drama. But When Stars Collide by Susan Elizabeth Phillips. I could go on, but those are three names. So Fantastic. That's wonderful. So looking ahead into this next 12 months, I mean, we've all had a very turbulent last couple of years, really, and everything's been disrupted. But what are you working on, new projects? What, what does your next year look like as far as you, we can all, any of us, predict anything? Yeah. <laughs> well, Lightning in a Mirror, which will be out in January, is out in January, is the the newest Jane Ann Krentz book. In May, the next Amanda Quick book will be another 1930s California setting, and it's called When She Dreams, which is all about a, a psychic dream experiment gone bad in California in the 1930s. <laughs> so you can see I'm, I'm sticking with my roots. And then next November will be another Jane Castle Dust Bunny book. And for those of you who don't read Jane Castle's the, probably best not to go there. <laughs> I, uh, the dust bunnies are a little psychic animal. They're like the perfect dog. You know what I mean? The perfect animal pet that you ever had. And um, it, they're set on another planet. So it's a whole different universe for me. And those are written under my Jane Castle name. But the next one will be out in, in November. It's called Sweetwater and the Witch. And what are you actually writing now? The Sweetwater and the Witch. Oh, you are, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're usually, the writing time is usually about eight to 12 months ahead. It, it's, a, it's about a year out from start to finish before, between starting the book and getting it published. You can do them faster if the publisher can schedule them faster. But there's just, there's a lot of stuff involved with this kind of publishing. It's easier to time it if you are doing the self-publishing. You have more control over so many aspects of it. But I'm with a, a publisher, so I'm kind of stuck with their whatever their routine is. And I presume that at this stage you're obviously very happy to stay like that because you're so well established. But if you were starting out today, would you be tempted to go self-publishing? Oh, yeah, in a heartbeat. 
I would have started. Yeah, absolutely. A lot to be said for that. Either way, you're going to have to teach yourself how to write. There are no, you can learn some basic stuff from, you know, basic craft kinds of things, I suppose. But writing is really very much a self-taught process. And every book, we learn something, don't we? It's every book is a learning experience. Yeah. Mm, That's fantastic. So do you like to interact with your readers and where can they find you online? Yes, love to interact with the readers, and they can find me online in a couple of different places. My home on the web is my website, which is janeannkrentz.com. And you can also find me on Facebook, Jane Ann Krentz author, I think it says, Jane Ann Krentz books or something. And on Instagram, I'm not terribly active on Instagram because I don't quite know what to do with Instagram. It's like, oh, here's a picture. <laughs> and I... I have like two videos up at TikTok and gave up. This is not going <laughs> to work for me. But Facebook is is probably where I'm most active. And then, as I said, if you want if you want a list of my books, if you want books sorted by series, uh, if you want upcoming titles, back backlist titles, whatever, that is all over on my website. So that's yeah. kind of like the core core place. Yes. I yeah, and we will have links to all of those. Um, sites that you've mentioned so that you can always go to the podcast episode show notes and see all of those so that's one useful resource that will be sitting there forevermore look it's been great talking Jane today it really has and I just am in awe of what you've achieved (laughs) well thank you so much it was a pleasure to meet you and I want to say hello to everybody in Australia New Zealand and that part of the world I went through there on a cruise a few years ago and it was just so fantastic I've Never forgotten it. it. Those memories will always stay with me. And met a lot of really lovely romance readers and writers in the process. So that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. So that's it for today. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Next week, our guest is contemporary romantic suspense author Barbara Freethy. She's an Amazon KDP best-selling author of all time with a total now of about 12 million books sold in multiple languages. Barbara is one of the standout successes of the indie publishing scene and has fascinating things to say about the changes in publishing over the last decade and what it's like working as both a trad author and an indie author. And don't forget, if you want exclusive bonus content with extra information about the podcast, including behind-the-scenes newsletters, then subscribe to Binge Reading Today. That's where you'll hear Jane's answers to the five quick-fire questions, as well as a a behind-the-scenes monthly newsletter giving info on books and authors who are coming up. Check it out today on patreon.com forward slash the joys of binge reading. In the meantime, thanks for listening and happy reading.